Welcome, everybody, to the House of Hustle podcast. We are presented by Sports Radio 810 and brought to you by Charlie Hustle. My name is Jared Sutton, and I'm joined, as always, by Stephen St. John. Stephen, what's going on? Basketball's going on. All right. We got lots of, we, how about just the, the three teams locally here? Like where we sit right now in college basketball with K-State, Mizzou, and Kansas. Well, I don't like the top but, 25 because K-State should be in it. That's true. Mizzou's in it right now. Uh, Kansas is number three. Mizzou's number 20. K-State receiving votes, which, which pans out to be in number 30. K-State should be in the top 25. But I think, hey, it would be cool at some point, maybe next week, to see all three teams in the top 25. But this is awesome because right now, uh, you know, all three teams can can think about the NCAA tournament and think about, you know, and start checking bracketology. All uh, these big games, too. Yeah. Like, fan bases can get excited. That the, the, the Texas game tonight for K-State on the road. Top you know, top six matchup. But big before time. we get into that, you, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you're a scout for the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm aware, yeah. I'm looking at these standings, 23-14. and 14, mm-hmm. A game out of the number one seed in the Western Conference. And New Orleans, well, they're already fired up. New Orleans was fired up after that big win in the Cotton Bowl by Tulane. But the New Orleans Pelicans, there's some basketball fever down in the French Quarter. How exciting is this for you? And, uh, I mean, expectations right now got to be through the roof. Through the roof. And, you know, New Orleans is a, um, a a Saints town, right? It's a football town. The Saints have driven so much success over the years. Who that? With Drew Brees and, and the, the Sean Payton teams winning a Super Bowl and um, as you know, um, the Saints and Pelicans are owned by uh, Gail Benson. She owns both teams. So um, it's very unique in terms of professional sports when you have an owner that owns an NFL team and an NBA team uh, in a market like New Orleans, which is considered somewhat of a small market. But what I think is so fun for, for us is um, to see us have success. Uh, we are still banged up. <laughs> We've had injuries throughout the season. A lot of teams are dealing with injuries as part of sports, as we know. Um, we haven't had Brandon Ingram for going on, I think, 19 games now uh, where he's been out with a foot injury and really carried us in the playoffs last year. Uh, C.J. McCollum had an incredible night on Friday uh, at home against Philadelphia where he broke the franchise record for most threes made in a game. Um, Zion is playing at such a high level. Um, he tweaked his hamstring last night. I hope Hopefully everything's going to be okay there. Uh, but we're playing good ball, and we got guys that, that really like playing with each other. It's a big part of our group and our team. Willie Green and his coaching staff have, have continued to do just a terrific job. I'm so impressed with Willie. I was impressed with him last year with everything we went through, the the start, the 3-14 and 14 start that everybody talks about and not having Zion all year to make the playoffs, to give the Suns a run for their money in the playoffs. I mean, it was such a fun year, and I think we're really building off of last year in a lot of ways. Guys are, you know, the, our rookies are now in their second year with a ton of confidence, and Najee Marshall's playing well, and Trey Murphy's playing well, and Jose Alvarado, and Herb's been banged up, but we know the importance of Herb Jones to this team. And we're just getting a lot of, I, th- I think, love. Um, when last year it was more of a conversation around Zion, I think everybody's appreciating what this team is. It's, it's, it, Zion's been a, a huge part of our success, but it's just it's everybody around him as well. We've had got different guys step up to win us games. Jackson Hayes won us a game in Oklahoma City uh, where he played so well and, and had 21 points and was great on the glass. And, you know, I, I just feel like where, where our team's at, we're deep. We're probably one of the deepest teams in the NBA right now. We're, we're very young. Um, but we're competing. We've won some big games, and we're in a great spot right now. I'm sure Kansas fans would like to know how Devontae Graham yes, sir. is performing. You mentioned uh, how deep the Pelicans are. He's part of that depth. And so give us an update on how the former Kansas star is performing for the Pelicans. Yeah, so when we signed Devontae, uh, the, the key for Devontae coming to our team was he, he was going to provide veteran um, leadership for a young group. And <laughs> you think Devontae, like a veteran, he's, you know, wasn't that long ago he was at Kansas uh, playing in the Final Four. So, um, you know, the, the career trajectory Devontae has been on to now be with us, his role is very different than what it was in Charlotte. I felt bad for him last year because I think you know there were there were moments of the season where he was probably playing out of his role and had to do a lot more than what was probably expected or what he thought he was going to be. Um, he's back more comfortable in the role that he's best suited. He's coming off the bench with great energy, making shots for us, leading, um, and always making the right play. I think that's something that uh, you really have to give Devontae a ton of credit is every time he goes in the game – you know, he's going in the game, he's coming off the bench, and we're, he knows we're deep. So he knows, you know, he's got to be productive and he's got to be efficient, but he's always making the right play. It doesn't matter if he's got 15 points or no points. He's always impacting the game in a positive way. Um, his, his energy level on the bench, how he engages with guys, his enthusiasm, 
He's a coach on the floor. Our coaches love him in our locker room and how he interacts with guys. And I think that's a huge part of the culture we've created. Devontae's a big part of that. And Devontae's, you know, he's gone through his own struggles uh, in terms of, you know, he, he was in a slump last year uh, for a long stretch. We know how good of a shooter Devontae is. Uh, he went through a tough stretch uh, where he really wasn't playing well, but he always stayed confident. He didn't sulk. He didn't point fingers. Uh, he didn't blame the coaches. He just he was rock solid in everything he did. Uh, for our team last year, now he's he's playing uh, to the to, to up to the to capabilities that Devonte is capable of playing at, and he, he's really been a great spark for us off the bench. Is it too forward of me to uh, call him a future House of Hustle guest? I would love for Devonte to be on this this podcast. I think it's not out of the question. I'll, I'll, let's answer it that way. You think he'd say yes to you and say, Jared Sutton, no thank you. Pass <laughs> on that I, opportunity. Th- I think it depends on the the timing of of when we we asked Devonte and how he could, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, a, a local guy here that's loved by Kansas fans still to this day and had such an impact on that program. And how Devontae was at Kansas, very similar to what he is at the NBA level and what he is with our organization. All right, something else I want to ask you about. Uh, one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA is Donovan Mitchell. And I like him also because Julius St. John has the Donovan Mitchell Adidas Spiders. Yep which are some very good basketball shoes, and she liked the colors. And so she used to have fluorescent green. Now she has all white, but she enjoys the Donovan uh, Mitchell signature shoe. And Donovan Mitchell dropped 71 points in his last game. That's the most by any NBA player in 17 years on Monday night, beating the Bulls in overtime 145 to 134. That was the most points in a game by any player since Kobe Bryant dropped 81 against Toronto in the year of our Lord 2006. I mean, I don't care if it was overtime, 71 points. And Donovan Mitchell was a superstar with Utah. He gets traded in one of the biggest offseason moves to Cleveland. Um, Your thoughts on Donovan Mitchell and 71 points because – uh, we obviously need to take a moment and recognize that tremendous feat. Absolutely. I mean, that's a historic accomplishment, and it's a moment just in basketball that uh, you're going to remember. And, I mean, when you see, when you hear 71, you think of Kobe is 81. That's the first thing I thought about. So, um, you know, you look at the game, too, and, and just the flow of that game. It was an overtime win uh, for Cleveland. So it wasn't like, you know, it's a Cleveland win by 30-plus points and, you know, they're, they're playing a bad team. He had to be the guy and win a, cl- a close game in overtime um, and was so efficient in, in doing so. And this is a Bulls team that is trying to find its way, and DeMar DeRozan's playing at a high level. But um, to go for 41 point, or excuse me, 71 points, be plus 19, got to the free throw line a lot, hit seven threes, did it on 34 shots. So that's efficient, right? 71 points on 34 shots, a lot of shots, but 71 points. I mean, that's highly efficient to make 22 buckets on 34 attempts. What's the most points you scored at any level in a game? Going back to grade school, whatever. I scored 62 in a 62 AAU game. 62 in an AAU in game. In a triple overtime game. Yeah, who the hell was guarding We you? only had five guys. Or who wasn't guarding you? <laughs> well, I, I felt it was like when the when the uh, the rim, it felt like was expanding. That's how hot I, my, my, my shooting was what that AAU night. What AAU team was this? I was with the, uh, we were actually playing against, um, God, I think it was the Cowboys. The, like they, they were uh, run by Boo Williams. Uh, group and this was back when they were getting started and who did you play for i played for the kansas city pacers which they're now 816 hoops okay so, um, who so they've changed names with you uh we had don martin who uh was part of my high school team um nobody i think that would I, I would say that like went on to play at a high level division one division two level um we had a couple i forget it was a bunch of like you know we put our au team together it was only five guys and it was kind of a hodgepodge of guys that year how many shots so, you take to get 61 I shot a lot. Um, I don't remember how many, but um, it was like the thing that was great. Sixty-one on fifty-eight shots. It was it was it was the the hot hand where like I was coming off screens and I was shooting the ball off the dribble and our point guard was making plays and it it was I mean for our to just have five guys and we we you know we we were talking about do we want to play the game because what happens if one guy goes down we only have four we're not gonna be able to finish the game. Well, we were like, yeah, we're going to play. And then we ended up beating this team. So you won. We won the game. And, I mean, to do it in triple overtime, um, it was at Levo Gym down near Argosy. I'll never forget. So were, you like, were, your, were your teammates like, yeah, or at any point like, 
bro, stop shooting. We're here too. No, I never. I mean, I, and the thing, the thing was, dog. yeah, it was, it was sort of like I, I mean, I kept shooting because they kept telling me to shoot yeah. one, and coach was running plays for me, and and you know we wanted to win the game. That like we we kind once we started to like have a belief that we were gonna beat, have a chance to beat this team, and they were 61. going, they went zone, they 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 ran different, but I um, and it was a triple overtime game, but. That was like the the hottest I think I've ever been in a game, and it was against a, a solid AU team. I bet that coach made the team run and run and run. They, I bet they had it, bad it, practice. You know, Stephen, it was funny. Like there wasn't like it was a late Sunday night game too, and it was like a seven thirty game, seven thirty tip, a late tournament tip, where there was not a people in the gym at that point. You know, it was just sort of parents, some parents, and all the parents were like standing up and like they were really into the game and really. It was it was. Kind of a cool memory for me. But, yeah, I was a sophomore, I believe, when that, that happened. Okay, so I'm going to make you mad. Okay. I'm going to ask you a little trivia here. Let's have some fun. Okay. Okay, Donovan Mitchell, 71 points. Man, I don't – this surprises me. I would I, I had, I had would have thought that uh, more players uh, scored – or in the 70-point club in the NBA. How many – first of all, how many players do you think are in the 70-point club in the NBA? 70 or more, right? Yeah, um, 70 or more. It's not. I bet. I bet it's not a lot. I it's would. Not. I would say it's three, three to four. Seven. Seven. So okay. Seven. Okay. So let's see how many of the seven you can guess. Come on, Jared. Oh, so man. Toy, you know well, two of them. Kobe Wilt. Okay. Kobe and Wilt's two. Donovan. So Donovan Donald now. This three. Okay. That's a passing grade. You got three. Jordan. Maybe. See, I would have thought Jordan. No. Jordan's not on there. Oh. No. Okay. Let me see. Um. And this is dating back. Are there, are there names from like? You know, 50s, 60s era. One that, of the greatest centers of his era. He did it in 1994. 1994, Olajuwon? No. 1994. I think it just in, the, in that. In that. Hmm. Trying to think here. 1994, uh, Shaq. That's pre-Shaq, right? Yeah. Um, ooh, David Robinson? Uh, David Ray! There we go. My man got it. David Robinson ah, the scored 71 on April 24th, 1994. I won't make you guess the other ones. But here, here's the most points. Because this is how crazy this was. Donald Mitchell scoring 71. Will Chamberlain, of course, scored 100 in 1962. Yeah. Kobe Bryant with 81. Then Wilt Chamberlain with 78. David Thompson mm. scored 73 back in 1978. Then <laughs> Will Chamberlain, 73. Will Chamberlain, 73. <laughs> Will Chamberlain, 73. So the answer Will is Will Chamberlain, Chamberlain, 72. Right. And then right. David Robinson, 71. And then Elgin Baylor. Oh, okay. Wow. Great 71. name. 71. Great name. And then you add in, uh, and so that's the most points. But then the other guys that are in the 70-point club, like I mentioned, Chamberlain did it six times. You got Kobe. You got David Thompson. You got Elgin Baylor. You got David Robinson. Devin Booker. Wow! Oh gosh, I I, I forgot about Book. Yeah, right? I, I forgot been, about I, Booker. Yeah, Booker. he did it recently. Man, that's wild. I totally forgot about Book too. Isn't that funny too? Like with and uh, and Donovan Mitchell had eleven assists too. I know. The, the thing about it too, like with with Donovan doing it and then Booker too, is in the same conversation because I watched Booker, you know, put fifty six on us a couple weeks ago. Uh, when you look at these two guys. And and just the state of the league to do that in today's league, and I'm not saying like anything dating back to the you know past eras, but you know with Wilt doing it, it was a totally different game back then. Nowadays, the game is completely changed; it's totally different. The talent level is so high in terms of the elite superstars of our league. And to, if you go back, and the reason why I want to bring up it's an overtime game, it's a competitive game. It wasn't like you know Donovan is wide open. It wasn't like these co- these coaches are are you know. Bright, intelligent, smart, changing their defenses, yeah, trying to do everything. Yeah, crazy you on the know, bench. You know they're thinking, "Oh my gosh, I can't wait!" But you got to tip your cap to something. Like when when Booker went off on us a couple weeks ago, it was like, "My gosh!" Like some some of them are were having breakdowns on, on a few buckets, but you're talking he's making some difficult, elite step back range shots that you you have to tip your cap to him. It's 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 great offense meets good defense. Like and and sometimes it's great defense and it's just better offense. And if that's a defender, you got to take that personal. You know, Absolutely. you know what's happening like you're switching defenders, right. you have an elite defender on, you're you're shifting who's going to guard, you're blitzing and great offenses find ways to get their best player in their hot hand the ball. Okay. And that that that's a testament to what what Mitchell did last so night. So Donovan Mitchell, so there's a little NBA talk for you. Let's talk some uh some college basketball right now. We had a very, very fiery, a very angry 
See, well, let's 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 come up with the words to describe what we just saw: fiery, angry, defensive. Mm-hmm. Speaking of defensive, very maybe they should have Nate Bucati on Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> very defensive, because here's what we do in the halls of Union Broadcasting. Now you're privy to this. Yeah, we like to have a little fun. We like to poke at each other, right? Nate Bucati is a he's a Kansas grad, loves KU basketball, and he's but he's not to the point he's overly defensive about the reputation of Kansas getting all the calls at Allen Fieldhouse. And he gets super pissed off when we bring this up. And so then I had we had I had messed with him a little bit on the air about it. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna out you, Nate Bucati. Uh in the commercial break, I know he was talking about me, and I'm—I oh, was kind of over here giggling. I think he told you, oh, if, you know, if you—if you complain about that, you know, f you, you know, <laughs> right. hey, hey. And so then I did not. Sometimes I put Lebo up to something. I—I I, I was in here. No, innocently, you never do that. Never innocently trying to get ready for House of Hustle. Mm-hmm. And what? How did Lebo? What did Lebo say? He just came up out of nowhere. He just sh- shows up. He's Out of no, a little, yeah, just walked around the corner. Right. I was like, so, so was that a foul? Yeah. Or and he just, goes up to you, he goes, do you think that was a foul? At the end of the game. Knowing Oklahoma Nate's by man going to hear it. And, and yeah. Nate got mad. Yeah. And Nate, Nate then, you know, gave Lebo the old what for. And then, you know, he started, he's going, oh, boo hoo, cry about it. And we were laughing. Yep. Because, I, I mean, one of the most famous non calls was, uh, Mm-hmm. My senior year, yeah. yeah. 2012. Allen Fieldhouse, overtime loss, up 19. Um, last time, well, now they've played, but the last time Mizzou played at Allen Fieldhouse prior to them restarting up the rivalry last year. Um, that was for so much on the line at that time because we had already beat Kansas. There was a controversial foul. No, no non-foul. And who was it? It was involving Phil Pressey and Thomas Robinson. Let's have Phil Pressey on the show. To talk I'd love about to have him. Phil on the show. And, and, and look, that was a foul. Whatever. But yeah. guess what? That man, was a foul. Because you blew the lead. Yes. Okay. We should never have been in that position. But you were you were not you 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 were kinda you weren't as hardcore. Yep, that was a foul no matter you know, you 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 almost kind of agree with Nate. That's fine. But I I thought it was a foul. I know Clark Kellogg on the call thought it was a foul live. Then <laughs> show the replay goes. Oh, he should be at the free throw line right now. Let Wait, me, wh- but let me let me go. Let me give you a spoiler. All right, if they call that foul, there's no way in hell he's making both those free throws <laughs> in that crowd, right? Yeah. He's making the first one. He's missing the second one. That so that Kansas is still going to win that game. But just very simply, there, there's no need for wild accusations like Nate Bucati was lobbing out at people out here. Do you think that was a foul? If you were Oklahoma State, if you were a cowboy, yeah, would you be very angry? What happened at the end of that game? So let me be very clear. Like with Phil's situation, Phil Phil's was a foul. There was no question about it. Uh, Kansas guys will tell you that. But we never should have been in that position. We were up nineteen. We made some horrible decisions in our offense. That, that speaks for itself. This play, I actually think Kevin gets the ball. I think he blocks the ball. Um, I think there's a little. I think it's a body foul. Yeah. I think the the conversation that I would have is the officials in terrible position (laughs) he's handing the ball first of all it's just a cardinal rule he's on the baseline handing the ball and the the official dictates you know where the player is supposed to be and how he he can move around the player of of where he's supposed to be in positioning you do that before you put the ball in play and he he presents the ball the player is in between uh the official and and the goal you don't think he had a good angle and there's nobody on the back side there's nobody there to cover anything on the right side of the floor Eh, you know whatever and then, and and then the best is when you go back and you get the replay. The official's trying to duck and look under the the goal, and um, yeah, there of course there was no call. I mean, he doesn't see the play. So um, again, late in game, uh, we see you gotta we, swallow that whistle. Yeah, we see whistle. We see whistles be you know swallowed all the time from from officials, and that was just a horrible positioning play okay. for me. And I, I know there's exceptions, but are you of the belief that a foul's a foul? If it's a foul. At the two-minute mark, it should be a foul at the end no of the question. game. Yes. Or do you think there are some fouls that should be called in the first half that if they occur in the last 30 seconds in a tie game, whatever, like, I swallow the whistle? Or do you think a foul is a foul no matter what? A foul is a foul no matter what. I think if this is where I, I have frustration with college basketball officials. I think, let me just say this. I truly believe that NBA officials are the best 
at what I think the process of how NBA officials get graded, get promoted. Now we have a G League that we develop officials. I watch all, almost all of our games. There's a couple calls here and there that I'm like, oh, they missed one. You know, I really think they do a great job of managing the game. I think they do a great job of going to the review when it's when it's supposed to be reviewed. I think they do a great job of correcting each other. In college, it's so different <laughs> how officials operate, how they communicate, um, the power that they sometimes possess you don't think it's great? over over. I don't think it's great, and I I think it's I think it's not improved over the course of many years. Um, and, and I I I just think when you look at that, this is one scenario of this this late game call. But there's makeup calls in games that happen when they shouldn't be made up. Uh, there's late game where officials do not want to make a call and they just want to let it let it play out when they've called every whistle for 15 minutes prior to that entire half. So the flow of a game can impact and it impacts rhythm, momentum, both teams of and I think you see this in football now, I think you see it in basketball more. You should have a scouting report for officials if you're in college. You should know that, your players should know that. There should be a level of communication of what you're going to go into, not just your opponent, but what you're dealing with of what officials because these coaches know these officials. They have a clear understanding of how you know how coach how officials call certain plays. Are they more lenient to calls? Um, th- those are things that, that I think every coach has to prepare for now. You just want consistency. Absolutely. Right? That's it. Absolutely. No question. And I'm, I'm okay. You're going to miss calls. I'm not. You're not going to get every call right. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, a late game, you're, you're not in the right position, and it's your call, and you're, you're not even in the right position. Like, that's... To me, a, a fundamental thing it has nothing to do with the outcome of the game or who wins the game. But the fact that you're not even in the right position, I have a problem with. And it happens a lot. It, it happens all the time. And you also see just these anticipation calls. We hear it all the time. Officials in college love to call a charge. And, and sometimes they don't even see the blocker charge and they just call it. So there's a lot of things I have. And I think in the NBA, it's, it's so much different because it, it really is graded on heavily. I think the retired officials that are still a part of the officiating committee uh, that look at all these officials and grade these officials out, I think they do an excellent job. I, I'm probably biased with that, but I, I watch the NFL. I watch Major League Baseball. I watch Premier League Soccer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a sports fan. I watch other sports. I hear all about it. And I just think the NBA and their officials are atop the profession of officiating in sports. I really do. Okay, K-State. Uh, so so KU starts off with uh, a nice win. At home, a nice comeback victory over Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State showed something, too. They're not going to be an easy out in Big 12 play. But K-State, we mentioned the Wildcats. We think they should be ranked in the top 25. Well, they uh, had to go to overtime, a thriller, to beat West Virginia. And that was a great way to start the uh, the conference season for Jerome Tang. And, of course, uh, after the game, uh, Bob Huggins had to say, uh, <laughs> but uh, K State, we continue to talk about them. Twelve and one, one and zero in the conference, just like Mizzou. Man, what a what a what a turnaround! What a great start for Jerome Tang, and uh, an important win to important get off win. on the right foot and get that win in overtime. Important win. Um, you know, I, I said this before. I think Jerome Tang and and his job so far in terms of taking over the 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 job at K State. Um, putting together an, an entirely new roster, keeping a few guys, kind of similar to what Mizzou's done, um, their strength of schedule, uh, you know, I think putting together a schedule that was competitive, but an opportunity for them to build a winning culture. I think both these Dennis Gates and Jerome Tank kind of resemble each other in that regard. And I also think what they got in the portal to get Naquan Tomlin and Keontae Johnson, who I think are studs, and, and David Nagesson is another guy that's a part of this, but Marquise Noel... I think is an I think Kansas State is an under talked about team right now. Honestly, I think Keontae Johnson Underrated. is they, the absolutely they should be in the top twenty. Keontae Johnson's playing at a high level. Marquise Noel, his passing, his playmaking, and pick and roll, like they're they're a really solid team. They got pieces, um, and they're a team that and a unit that's been brought together. Uh, all they're all new guys, and they're finding a way to win. Like, so like I, I remember like when Mike Anderson took over at Mizzou, right, and how it 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 took time, yeah, for him. To get the players into his, you know, on campus, 
and, and get that system implemented because that's not a system where you can take someone else's players and run it. Right. right? You got to have the right guys. Right. And it took him a while. And I remember he used to say, well, you know, it, it, it might be, you know, 20 minutes of hell and 20 minutes of what the heck, but we're getting there. Right. And then finally, when he got his players in, you could see what it could be. And I think, like, how quickly could he have done that if there was the transfer portal? Mm-hmm. You know, and brought some guys with him from UAB and, and, and been able to pick and choose different guys who fit his system. And that's, we can say whatever we want. If we like the transfer portal, if we don't, clearly it's very exciting. It's like free agency in professional sports. And for the fan, even though it could be frustrating that, uh, like for Missouri, you lose a kid like Trevon Brazil when he shows so much promise as a freshman. But you can go out there. If you're a, a new head coach like Jerome Tang or Dennis Gates, we're seeing, and we saw with with Iowa State, no more are the days of, well, it's going to take me two or three years to get my guys in here to be able to run my system. No, 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 no. This is the advantage that coaches have when they are hired by a new program with a transfer portal. They can get things up and running. And we are seeing two fantastic, what we saw last year, like I said, with Iowa State going from last place to the Sweet 16. But we're seeing two great examples. K-State and Mizzou, both 12-1, and both 1-0 in the conference at the time of this podcast. And it's largely in part because they were allowed to go out there and cherry-pick these players that fit their system and what they want to do, and players that weren't going to fit, they 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 move on. Uh, when, when you're talking about a new head coach, the transfer portal is wonderful. It's wonderful, but um, I think you bring up a good point, and you tied it into Mike Anderson, and I think it's well said because I think Coach A always was identifying the right guy that fit. He wasn't looking at your star. He wasn't looking at – Anything pertaining to the noise that's out there sometimes in like, high school rankings. A guy like a JT Tiller. Like a JT Tiller. That's right. Just in that, in that type of tone, too. Well, but, wasn't he? But he was a UAB commit, wasn't he? Was. He was. He was a UAB commit. And he wasn't yeah. Harold or whatever else, but well, he was exactly the kind of guy that uh, you needed to run that system. I mean, he got Damari Carroll out of Vanderbilt and his, right. his family tie there. So <laughs> that was a big get at that time. Um, but I, I think, you know, the point being is, I think nowadays, too, with the portal being what it is, there's going to be certain players in there that are, are running from their own problems. And, you know, you, you want to find guys in the portal that fit what you want to do on the floor and fit what you want to do from a culture standpoint. The block we were talking about for Kansas, who, who had that at the end of the game? Kevin McCuller, who, is a high, who, who we knew was a great defensive player and a part of those Texas Tech teams that have had it's success. Like love in Lawrence. Absolutely. Wants it's, and he fits exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. He's a perfect Bill Self guy that is a defensive-minded guy. So... You know, JT Tiller was a very big Mike Anderson type of guy. He played like Mike Anderson did, honestly, when Mike was in college. So the portal can be great, but you also have to – it's just like building any roster, whether you're in high school or whether you're in college or in the pro level. You're going to evaluate the talent. You're going to evaluate the skill set. You're going to evaluate how that player Im- Im- impacts your current roster and how you play from a system standpoint. But you also have to understand what you're undertaking. If, if there's baggage there, uh, nowadays, too, with NIL – there's so many distractions with you got parents and family members, all stuff that's coming at you. You got to understand what you're getting yourself into because it 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 takes a one or two guys that if, they, if they're a bad culture fit, it can take your program and, and run amok with it. And that's what you don't want. Chemistry can be a challenge. It's, it, it's very, and I know it's over. I know it's used a lot. I know chemistry gets talked about a lot in culture and it's, it's, it can be vague terms, but I think they're actually truly real. Um, I, I think you look at some teams in college basketball that coming into this season, you think, man, they're super talented. They got size. They got shooting. They got all these pieces. They should be really good. They're off to some slow starts. And why? And you think, do those guys like playing with each other? Are those guys sideways with, this guy's making this much in an IL? This guy, you know, those, those are questions that coaches really have to deal with um, and really talk about internally. There's more to the puzzle, and this is what you know. some of the older coaches have a hard time with that are trying to evolve to it is, it's one thing you got to coach your team on the floor, and that's what Dennis Gates um, and Jerome Tang deserve a ton of credit. Their teams are 12-1 and one and off to great starts. So the success has been there on the floor. It's also what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint. Both those guys are relentless recruiters. They've been that way as assistants. Their staffs are built that way. They have ties to the recruiting trail in terms of the, the circuits of the Adidas and Under Armour and, and the EYBL. Like They have all these different relationships, but they're recruiting guys that they want to fit their program. 
you look at Mizzou's roster too with guys that had success as defensive players of the year at the horizon level at Cleveland State. Noah Carter from you know from Northern Iowa, who was a very successful player in the Valley. Um, you know, they got Isaiah Mosley from the Valley that's not playing, but was a highly talented kid in the transfer portal. DeAndre Goldson was from Milwaukee yep. and had played against right. uh, Dennis Gates, so he knew all about him. And you bring in, he had the luxury of bringing in Hodge and Gamillion mm-hmm. from Cleveland State. And you mentioned Trey Gamillion, a former defensive player of the year. A lot of, a lot of JT Tiller in his game. Yeah. But you bring sure. those guys in and you're able to use those as examples and it's so, and you can speak to this, it's so much easier instead of trying to preach what kind of culture you want and try to explain it. Well, here, you've got two guys who are going to play a lot. They're going to be leaders on the team. Do what they do. Yeah. Like the old saying, actions speak louder than words. What a great mix of talent, but also examples of what he wants you to do on and off the court how he wants you to practice. He has those guys there because, you know, when when you've got guys that are elevating your game with the competition in practice, that many times can mean a lot more than what a coach is just telling you. No question. Right? Absolutely. Like, like the story you told about going in there and practicing and seeing how hard they practice and what they wanted from you, they wanted you diving all over the place, and they wanted you matching that intensity or they didn't have a use for you. Yeah. And so you had to match what – those other guys were giving in practice for Mike Anderson. I think what's so funny when you mentioned that, like what we always used to hear when playing with Coach A is, man, you guys play so hard. And one thing I've, I've told people is I think our fan base got, fell in love with our teams because we, we were relentlessly tough and we were highly competitive. Like Damari and JT set the tone of that 2008-2009 team. And we had, a, we had talent. We had depth. We had all those pieces that won games. But it, it started with a, the identity of our team and our program, and it reflected Coach A. And I always tell people, games, it was like a breath of fresh air when you had a game day because practices were so difficult and hard. And now I think Coach A's let up a little bit just of, like, managing guys, and I think there's some evolution that he's done. But, I mean, back in the day, we, we, we would practice hard, hard throughout the year. So our games, it was like it was a breeze. It was like we're going against somebody other than ourselves, and that's why I think we were so competitive and, and played so hard and played – like like every possession was the last final possession of a game. It started in practice. It started with the leaders that we brought, and it, it, it speaks to Coach A bringing the right guys. It's the same thing translating right now with, with some – Keontae Johnson was one of my favorite guys in terms of studying him at Florida. When K-State got him, I'm thinking, if this guy is and has to pass all medical tests and, and be healthy, and his intangible traits as a leader – and he does it very, you know, in a quiet way. He is a quiet leader, lead by example type of guy. He's the perfect guy you want to bring in because number one, he's going to be as productive as he's been on the floor and, and help you win games. But it's everything else that he brings to the table. I think I said this on on, on your show. When he is in practice, he elevates everybody's play just by how he carries himself. There's no excuse. He goes after everything. He is the best player and the most talented player. And when your most talented player is going all out, that practice gets elevated to the next. Because everybody wants, everybody sees that and knows, I have to match that. What that guy's doing, right? I have to do that. I might be a freshman, but I have to do that. And that elevates everybody. And that's, to me, this great sign of, that was Dennis, excuse me, that was Jerome Tang identifying that, bringing that player there. And that's why they, they've been able to have some success. You have to have leadership. You have to have an identity and a culture. And you can build that in year one. It doesn't, the, yes, you want to be patient with the coach. But both programs and both fan bases should think, wow, we got ourselves a basketball coach and a basketball program that's headed in the right direction. So here's the interesting thing about uh, about Dennis Gates I want to I get your thoughts on. You, you talk about bringing in talent, bringing in the right mixture of players, but also you have that issue of NIL and how that could, that could be an issue that you have to deal with personalities and everything else. You bring in Isaiah Mosley. Yeah. And before the season starts just looking on paper – Oh, he's the biggest get. He averaged over 20 points a game at Missouri State. Other schools wanted him for a while. It looked like he might go to Kansas. That's going to be the leading score. That's the biggest fish he got out of the transfer portal C. And for a long time this year, when he wouldn't play, he'd only play a few minutes, he wouldn't play at all, that was the hottest topic amongst Missouri fans. Now, we're not talking about it too much anymore because he doesn't play. And Dennis Gates is winning. Mizzou is winning. It would be a much different story 
if if they would have lost Kentucky to Kentucky and lost uh, that game to Illinois, and they, they're riding a you know a three or four game losing streak, or Hodge didn't hit that shot, then Dennis Gates is trying to establish a culture or whatever's happening, but they're losing games because of it, and you know there'd be people complaining. No question. He looks like a genius right now, but whatever it is, we don't know all the story, okay? And the people that do know the story ain't talking. But that's been a very difficult issue because, you know, NIL was involved, and he was the big get. Mm -hmm. And now he ain't playing at all, and he's still winning. So he's been able to to find that balance of, you know what, I'm going to make hard decisions to establish the culture out of the bat, but he's also winning too. And then the other thing I wanted you to talk about, actually talk about mostly, is you mentioned Kobe Brown. Mm. How hard is it, because he looks apart, 6'8", 250, Getting off the bus, there's a player. He's wildly talented, but he's oftentimes in his Mizzou career, he's deferred. He hasn't been the guy. He's been happy being one of the guys. And I think we go through this if you coach grade school, high school. You've got kids that that are talented but but don't have that personality to be the player, the go-to, the leader, and you have to coax it out of him. It's very difficult. Sometimes you don't get that, and it looks like whether it's been – Dennis Gates or any other member of the coaching staff or whatever, they've been able to unlock that, and he's had back-to-back 30-point games against Illinois and Kentucky, and that's very important because you do need a guy. Yep. When you know, hey, we need a shot, that's our guy. And so, to me, those are two examples of Dennis Gates doing some in, some very impressive uh, managing of personalities and building chemistry, which has led to the success on the court. No question. So let's start with Isaiah. I think you you brought up a good point of you know winning kind of cures all, and it, it sort of limits <laughs> the noise, right, right. when you win. Um, when I, I think when you talk about we we, we compare, I, I do at least with Kansas State and Mizzou, they're very similar first year head coaches. It's different with Jerome Ting's group because their top transfer is playing at the highest of levels. With Mizzou, their top transfer isn't even playing. So it's a very different <laughs> conversation we had. And I would say with Mizzou, they got Aiden Shaw, who's a very talented freshman, that they were able to land his commit, recommit him, re-recruit him, really. Um, he did play really well in the Kentucky game. He goes in and gives them a lift. But it goes to the fact Mizzou started Ronnie DeGray in the Kentucky game. They subbed him out a minute into the game. They subbed him out a minute 30 into the second half. The reason why I bring up Ronnie DeGray he didn't even really play in the first two games of this season, games I called. I think he might have been in, and those were some mop-up minutes he got in. Now they have to play him because they, they they use him for defensive purposes with his length. Uh, he's a versatile positional defender where he can switch out. He can play multiple positions. Dennis Gates is using his entire roster, and I think what it, it's kind of similar to what we are going through in New Orleans where – We've had some injuries. Guys have had to step up. Opportunity has presented itself, and guys are taking the reins, and they believe in our our, our coaching staff because they're going to get an opportunity. They know no matter what. And if you're playing well, they're going to they're play you. It's not like they're they're going to take you off the floor if you're not playing well, but Coach Gates expects you to – he's all about efficiency. He, he's an analytical guy. He's going to look at the lineups that make sense, that drive success. Ronnie DeGray, when he's been in the game, they've been very good from maybe, a plus-minus standpoint. And maybe that's the argument for, for, for having that lighter schedule. You're able to evaluate what you have while still win games, and then when you, even though the Kansas game did not work out well, then when you get to the better games, you have a really good understanding. This is my glue guy. Yeah. This is my defensive guy. I want him in this situation. You have a better understanding of how this team fits together. And also – what did we hear when we started to hear some reports about people that love this hire? He's a terrific talent evaluator. Mm-hmm. He's a great X's and O's guy. And it's you're seeing <laughs> yeah. that. And it's like yeah, absolutely. It's almost it's it's kind of like you're scared to like, oh boy, this is a home run hire. Yeah. Here's, he's this is this and he's is, young. He's yes. young. Now you see why hardcore X's and O's guys were super excited about uh and I remember um Put a great staff together too. Right, that's a key to every every head coaching. Hire. I remember comments that uh, that Buzz Peterson made at uh, at, at Media Day, mm-hmm. and he was uh, he had tremendous praise about Mizzou hiring Dennis Gates and about what he's going to bring to the table because, like, he wasn't the sexy big name, but 
boy, does he look like he's a home run right now with the way he can evaluate this talent and build team chemistry and what he's done so quickly. It's unbelievable that just this quickly, with only three returning players, they're number 20, 12-1 and one with wins over Kentucky and Illinois. I, just, it's, it's, I have to say it to believe it. Well, uh, and I think there's, there's two things that we can tie this into because how many comments were made after Dennis Gates was hired of well, he rebuilt Cleveland State in a short amount of time, but well, it was it was Cleveland State. He took it took three years for him to rebuild that program to where they were winning consecutive conference championships. Two of the three <laughs> years he was Horizon League Coach of the Year, right? So I, I think that's also playing itself out a little bit right now too. Of like, wait a second, like he's already showing like we're half we're, we're just starting league play. He just coached his first game as a coach at Mizzou, and it was against Kentucky, and he beat John Calipari. And right now, who, you, you got to give him, a, you know, if if we said who's Who's the leading candidates for SEC Coach of the Year? He's got to be there. Why isn't he? He's got to be up there. I mean, Mississippi State's off to a great start, too. They're going to be in the conversation with Coach Jans. But I just think what he's doing, to you mentioned talent evaluation. This is a great conversation we had because I'm big on, yes, recruiting is everything, and you got to put your roster. Player development's still right at the top, too, for me. Like development of your own players and not just writing your, you know, you know, your players off. You recruited those players. You signed those players. If they're bought in, you want to give them every chance they they can have to be successful. Kobe Brown is the ultimate culture piece, leader, um, guy you want representing your program that you are okay with being the face of your program. The thing about Kobe, what's so fun to watch him play, he's he's gotten in, in a little bit better. He's always been in good shape, but he just looks like he's more defined. He can play longer stretches without fouling. Uh, his conditioning levels, I think, a little bit better. He's been aggressive. He's been in attack mode. We've talked about him playing with fire and energy and, and, and just the, the emotion that he's been playing with. It's, it's something we haven't seen from Kobe Brown in his career at Mizzou. He's had back-to-back 30-point games. He's rebounding the ball. He's shooting threes. They're running all sorts of different actions for him. Pick and roll, high post, pinch post action, throwing the ball to him inside. They're putting him in all sorts of different formations, and they're also identifying... This is a good shooting team. How, how many times have we watched a Missouri basketball team and you're thinking, they're shooting... 10% from three or something like that. You know, they got Demoy Hodge, who is, I think, one of the most lethal three-point shooters in the conference. And, and he don't care where he and is. And he's got the he'll green light it. at all he's times. Like Jared Sutton. He'll shoot it from wherever. If it feels like leather. Court. If it feels like leather, just right. let launch. He, I mean, he, he, I mean, he, 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 he shot a pull-up three in Kentucky. It was one on three. He, there are no numbers. They're totally comfortable with him shooting that because he, he makes that shot. That's a, that's a good shot for very, them. Very Clarence Gilbert-ish. And that's right. Just let it fly. Um, but the way they're using Des Moines, the way, the way they're using Kobe, I think Nick Honor and Sean East have played at a really high level. Point guard play is so important. Sean East has been great off the bench for Mizzou. Good change of pace. Great change of pace. He's got a good float game. He can shoot threes. Um, I, I, DeAndre Golston can, can have 16 points. He can be a physical defender. He's, he can do a lot of different things when he's on the floor. And I just think Trey Gomillion is like the heart and soul of the, of the team. And we knew that was probably going to be the case, and it, it definitely you, – you see it. Um, when they had substitutions in that Kentucky game, they'd be in a huddle, and Trey Gomillion would just go sit on the bench because he was so exhausted that they would let him catch, a, catch his breath. And they would have the whole, and he would, because he already knows what's, he knows the system, he knows what's going to be said. And then he would talk to Coach Gates separately before and after huddles. And he, and let's be honest, he's the kind of guy that makes you mad if he's guarding you. Yes. He's the guy you want right. to have on your team and the guy you hate to play, hate to play right. against, for sure. Right. He, he, he was, there, there are little things like the intangibles that he brings. Yep. And like, and, and that's why it's so important to have a guy because he's on the same page as Dennis Gates. So uh, once a month, we're going to have, the uh, House of Hustle, Hustler of the Month. Now, that sounds filthy, but it's not because we want players that hustle. If you want to nominate uh, Stephen St. John at 810WHB.com, it could be a high school player. It could be a college player, small college basketball. Got a lot of great programs around like Northwest Missouri State, whatever. But we were just talking about your nominee this, uh, this month for Hustler of the Month, and who is it? It's going to be Kobe Brown. Uh, I'm going to give it to to Kobe, who is SEC Player of the Week, and I, I think he was like the National College Basketball Player of the Week after after the Illinois win uh, when he had his night. But you look at his his performances against Illinois and Kentucky to go back to back 30 point games. He shot 75 percent from three against Illinois and 50 percent from three against Kentucky. He had eight assists in that Illinois game. Like I can't be like when when they're 
going and playing through him. Kobe has such a great feel of not forcing, of taking good shots. He's still so unselfish. He also had four steals in that Illinois game. He's very active defensively. His strength bothered Oscar Toshibwe. Toshibwe has great length. He's going to rebound the ball to high level. But you, you've just been so impressed with the fight of Kobe. So much is asked of him on both ends of the floor. He played 37 minutes against Illinois. He played 35 against Kentucky. He's going to be playing a lot of minutes. That takes an incredible amount of toughness when you got to be a guy that is as productive as he's been on offense, and you got to turn around and play defense. You can't. You they cannot afford him to rest because he's he just is a different matchup nightmare because of his physicality. He has to guard on the block and he has to guard every team's five man when they go small. That to me exemplifies playing with hustle and playing with heart and playing with toughness. And this is a guy that has gone through years of losing. And stuck with the program. He could have left. He could have easily left. He could have gone and gone anywhere. NIL money now. He stayed. The loyalty that shows. Staying true to his commitment. Uh, he loves Mizzou. And look, there's a lot of different guys you could give it to. But I just think with Kobe, the story of him, especially coming out of high school out of Alabama, and his growth as a player, and, and the type of kid he is, and how hard he plays... He's never changed the type of player he is in terms of how hard he plays, but now he's just playing with so much more confidence, and you're seeing this evolution of him over the last week or so, and he's got to continue to play like this for Mizzou, but he's our, our hustler of the month. Jared Sutton mentioned the show was brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle. You can go to charliehustle.com, go down to their store in the plaza, and if, you are, if you're ready, you should be celebrating Kansas, Kansas State, or Mizzou basketball. Get all geared up. they got great stuff for the Ruse, too, Kansas City Ruse. And, of course, the playoffs are right around the corner. You want to get geared up for uh, for the Chiefs. All I'm going to tell you is this. I'm looking at charliehustle.com. I see this tie-dye shirt. It's got me written all over it. Oh, baby. Wink, wink, nudge. That <laughs> says Kansas City kicks ass. I'll wear That's that shirt time. every day if I can. And so you go to charliehustle.com. I know you love it down there. They got love a lot it. of Mizzou. All kinds of gear. They get everything you need, really. The vintage gear. You just get swagged out on all the tri- – right. I, I actually I, – I, that was a quick plug. Being at the Mizzou game – Watching the, the game against Kentucky in Mizzou Arena, a lot of Charlie Hustle gear in that crowd, and that jacket. that was one of them. I I need to put a plug and get get me one of those. That, uh, that's that's long. Right. That's some that's some some the, the Tiger Paw is always a, a, a it's emblem logo right there. You got them big boy husky sizes, Charlie Hustle. <laughs> See me, I, hey, catch me outside. We'll take care of that. Uh, where you where you, your travels take you next for scouting? Do you have any? Uh, yeah, chips on the uh, on the schedule already. I got a bit. So um, Purdue UConn one and two just lost. So um, I actually am going to see Purdue Ohio State on Thursday. So I'll go to Columbus, and then I actually go to New Orleans. I'm going to go catch us in New Orleans. We play uh, the Brooklyn Nets on Friday. One of the hottest teams in the East. It's gonna be a great matchup on ESPN Friday night. Big game. Can't wait to see the environment um, and be in that environment. Haven't yeah, haven't been to our, uh, a game yet this year. My last games were when we were in the playoffs. Uh, so looking forward to getting back to, to New Orleans. Seventy degree weather this weekend, so it's gonna be good to get back in the Big Easy. It's it's not so it's not so bad now because I'm experiencing uh, Dennis Gates and a renaissance of Mizzou basketball. Uh, but, but I've been I've still been very angry at Matt Painter for several years. But the reason is because that he's a he's hell, of a, hell of a coach. Yeah, he is. Right, Coach Painter's great. Um, I now joke with him of. He could have coached me for oh, one year. I, I, Wait, I, how's that go? It, he he laughs and he's always like, I thought. Yeah, he he actually openly is like, hey, I, I thought it was going to get done, and and uh, but yeah, I, I knew he was going to be staying at his his alma mater at Purdue, and he's had a great career there. And but I think that's the laughing about that. That's that, that's the closest he's ever been to uh, to leaving Purdue, and um, got on the doorstep. But I actually that's a whole other story. I right. actually thought we I I I was on spring break. Because we were done Where in the NCAA tournament. At? I had a break. I was uh, in Panama. I bet you were. I was in Panama with some buddies, and I got a text that said, I think it's Matt, Matt Painter is going to be our head coach. And uh, the next day, everything changed. Um, so, yeah, it was a wild, wild, wild time. Was this like a like an MTV like spring break? No, wild? no cameras. Yeah, no cameras like, allowed. No, mm. just all getting after it. Luckily, it was like a spring break that was after like most college spring breaks. So, Mizzou was late that, that year with spring break. So, it was kind of nice. It was just like a bunch of Mizzou f- Friends, it's toned down. It's toned okay, down. Okay, but so so maybe uh, maybe the next uh, episode I want to hear more about of this. <laughs> we can dive back guy. into the why spring break. Why don't want to do this? I've moved on from this. And you go and you tell them you get to laugh it up with Matt Painter for some reason yeah. coming up on Thursday, and then you'd be down in New Orleans watching the Pelicans. All right, uh, Jer- any final comments before we end this episode? 
Uh, I think um, the the final comments I would give is just you you look at where this college basketball season's going, and we touched on it earlier of just the local schools being successful. First year head coaches like Dennis Gates, Jerome Tang, doing such a great job. Kansas is playing at such a high level. Um, we're seeing some teams that um, are kind of have been flowing flowing uh, under the radar. UConn for one, who lost at Xavier. Um, but UConn's a very good team. There's just some solid, solid teams in, in college basketball right now. Houston, Alabama, um, Texas. There's some some really good good teams. I think it's going to make for a fun college basketball season as we we work through league play. Like league play dictates so much of the NCAA tournament seating, as we know. Um, this is when it gets fun. You're in the family, and uh, this is when it gets really competitive, competing for a league championship. All right, let, let, let me let me tout Jared Sutton for a minute before we end this thing. How did we not start? I mean, how have we not talked Sutton. about this right now? Jared Sutton comes to St. Gabriel girls' 7th and 8th grade practice, and we invited the 7th and 8th grade boys also, uh, which I didn't tell you, which angered the girls because they did not want them there. That's what I heard. Little, I, little, yeah, yeah I, I, felt some, I felt some tension. Someone came in, felt some tension. Why them? Yeah. Hey, we're trying to get everyone included. And so Jared Sutton talked about shooting and talked about finishing, right? Yeah, follow through, Look, release so point. We, we played in the St. Michael – uh, high school tournament. This is Selena St. John. Pure. What do you see right there? Pure. Was she listening to Jared Sutton or not? I mean, that's like a picture-perfect form right there. Perfect release, high arch, great balance, great feet. Man. And I'm, I'm not kidding. She's, she, she's you, listening. You, she Look at that follow-through. The, the drills and everything. Does that – that's got to – you got to get kidding out – out of that because like my kids don't listen to me they listen to you in one night i tell them something for two years nothing you got that you tell them one night and they do everything <laughs> like i don't can, can i can i call you and make you tell them to go to bed or something yeah hey, you, you you text me every then and say hey can you give me a, a quick pep talk can you give the girls a quick yeah, pep give talk me, give it's, me a pep talk <laughs> and then, can, you get, can you get me going no. and then i gotta get and this is the saint john girls with this defense that's some oh, great that's hands. Like, great hands. We it's a great double. Six, Look at we, the double. We only play six-minute quarters. It's like 24 minutes of hell. <laughs> we can't do 40 minutes of hell. 40 minutes is hell trying to get them to wake up and go to a morning game. That's the twins that unleashing. Julia, no foul. I see no foul there. She's not Both hands foul. on the ball, yeah. Julia and Selena, because of Jared Sutton's words motivating these girls, ready to go out and play their best basketball. That's all. They get out on the driveway too, right? Like You, got, you built the backyard. The, the, yeah, backyard. That's right. Backyard. That's right. Backyard hoop. Court, court, let's go. That's right. But I cannot. We no longer have one-on-one games because that uh, the last time we had them play one-on-one, it was uh, it well. nearly fisticuffs. And then mom accused me. I'm not making them too competitive. But can you be too competitive at the age of 13? I say no. That's right. You're That's not right. competitive enough. Jared Sutton, say goodbye to all the people that are tired of us talking about basketball. Right now. What a fun, fun little show here. A fun, fun uh, s- segment we had here. But we'll uh, we'll look forward to next week. Maybe a maybe an interview next next uh, next pod. How about we'll see. Sophie Cunningham? How about Sophie Cunningham? We got to get this done. We've been talking to Sophie. She's in. So. And more, we got to get that and, scheduled. And Jared Sutton spring break stories from Panama. We'll do that. So until next time, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you to Charlie Hustle. And thank you for listening and watching uh, House of Hustle. You can watch us, subscribe, like us on YouTube. Go download this podcast anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks.